Hey everybody, what's up? Sagi here. And before you listen to this episode, I just wanted to let you know that the Hacking UI podcast, while we still have a lot of downloads for our podcast, is a legacy podcast, meaning David and I are not recording any more sessions for the specific podcast. So what you can do right now is, first of all, listen to this episode, and second, know that you can find David on thoughtleaders.io, that's his new business, or you can check out my new podcast, which is called The Creativepreneur Show. And you can just go to creativepreneurmagazine.com or creativepreneur.show. So those are the two domains that you would be able to find my show, my new blog, my new community. And I hope uh, to see you there. Also, be sure to follow David Tintner and Sagi Schreiber on Instagram. We're both on Instagram. I'm also on YouTube. So you can check out the YouTube channel if you want to check out YouTube. Enough with my talking. Oh, my God. So anyways, I hope you guys, though, connect with me and David on the different platforms after this episode. All right. Make sure to do so because we have so much new content for you. And enjoy, guys. Enjoy this episode. The former rock star turned designer felt his palms sweating as he was about to sign the loan. He could hear the robotic squeaks of papers printing just above the sound of the Barcelona midday traffic outside the bank. I must be crazy to take a loan like this, but it's about time, he thought. He knew he was onto something big, and the past year of working on it as a side project only increased that confidence. Just how big, he never could have imagined. A few years later, he would be partying with 130 of his employees at a weekend retreat for the same company that was once his side project. Hello, hackers. Thanks a lot for joining us for another episode of the Hacking UI podcast, where we hack our way through design, development, and entrepreneurship. I'm Sagi Schreiber. And I'm David Tintner. Our guest today is the co-CEO of Typeform, one of the hottest young startups out there. In this conversation, we discuss his journey from being a rock star with a record deal to owning a design agency and eventually building a product that transformed from being a side project into a massively successful startup. Ladies and gents, it's our pleasure to present to you David Okunyev. Let's get hacking. All right, everybody, we are here with another episode of the Hacking UI podcast. Uh, today we're joined with David Okunyev. Hey, David, how's it going? Hello. Yeah, great. Awesome. Thanks for joining Thanks us. Thanks for having me here. So you're in Barcelona, right? I am indeed. That's the Typeform offices are located there. Yeah, um, yeah. actually, we're all here in Barcelona. We cool. haven't dared send anyone further afar yet. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so before we get started, David, why don't you give everyone a little bit of your background and explain uh, who you are? Okay, I was born in Belgium in 1976, the year the Concorde took its first flight. don't know if that's relevant at all. I'm a bit of a plane fanboy. <laughs> and I moved to England when I was around 12 years old, was sent to boarding school, left that boarding school when I was 18, and then started attending university in London. At the time, I was a musician, so I studied music and then launched a career in music when I was around, how old was I at that time? Around 20-something. Got a record deal, started really? touring, started recording an album with my band nice. and then eventually like after years of doing that i ended up leaving england because i met someone and got married to them in colombia south america so when i went out to south america there wasn't many options for me work-wise for music and, and i i had always been doing bits and pieces with design for like my music like doing like album covers or like the website and stuff so i started a small design agency called fat man collective which i eventually moved 
to Barcelona when I had finished my tenure in, uh, in Colombia. And uh, yeah, built a small company there in, in, in Barcelona. We ended up being nine people. And that's where I eventually uh, met my co-founder, Robert, in a co-working space. Uh, we were both, we actually, both of us were running small creative agencies and we started collaborating together. And that was the kind of, you know, my first encounter with him. Nice. And what kind of music were you doing and what role? What kind of music? So I, I started as a kind of guitarist, but slash songwriter in, in, in the band I was, with, I was in. Uh, and then eventually I, I, I just was a sole producer, composer. I was playing, I was sort of playing instruments on, on my record and so forth. That's awesome. Sagi and I checked out a couple of your YouTube videos. You have uh, some music videos. They're great. <laughs> Which ones did you see? Because I think some people mashed up some of the music and put some other visuals on top. Did you see one with, with like black and white footage? Yeah, the one I saw was Ripe for the Devil. Okay, right. <laughs> That's an original? It's an original. Right, cool. <laughs> well, we took, we took old archive footage and put it together. Friend of Michael, Robert Chandler, put that all together. Awesome. So you and Robert, who your co-founder today, met in a co-working space in yeah. Barcelona, that is, right? And yeah. Okay, so can you take us through how the idea for Typeform kind of came together? Sure, sure. So uh, Robert had a, a client called Rocker, which is a, a bathroom manufacturer. They make sort of high-end toilets. And they asked him to produce an application that would sit in one of their showrooms. And part of that application was a form to collect leads in, in, in the showroom. So he brought me onto the project uh, to help with the design part. And we knew we can just like build a kind of, you know, simple old form. So we got inspired by the film War Games. I don't know if you, you know, there's this scene where Matthew Broderick is talking with the computer and it's very conversational. It's one question at a time. There's no like boxes for inputs. There's no check boxes and so forth. It's kind of very natural. And we kind of took a cue from that and thought, hey, why don't we make like a kind of conversational form? So that's exactly what we built for Rocker. And once that project was, was finished and, and we'd successfully like, seen that it worked in that showroom we thought hey why don't we do this for for all our our, our clients so we were both running uh, sort of creative digital agencies and we thought this would be a good thing to sell on to them and then you know it's we started building a small back end for this and then we thought hey well actually why should we limit this to just our our clients why don't we just open this up to anyone so that's what we set off to do and we put out a vid six months before the launch of the of the beta we put out a video out there with, you could see clearly what the product was going to be like. And we, we, we put that out and we started collecting email addresses. And by the time the beta came along, we had a kind of listening audience of people ready to kind of build typeforms. And we launched the beta. People started building typeforms. Those typeforms got exposed to their audiences. People within their audiences wanted to build typeforms. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And then we suddenly got traction pretty quickly. Wow, cool. Okay, so, so so before we get ahead to exactly what happened once you guys got traction, but walk us through. It was a, like a side project at the beginning. So yeah, you guys absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sorry, I, I didn't give enough context, but actually, we were running it as a side project for for roughly two years until we got to to the beta. We we were both still, you know, very busy with our with our with our agencies, and what we were doing is in our downtime and downtime of the engineers or designers in the company, we were working on this thing called, well, it was called Quickie Form at the time. 
<laughs> that was that was the first name of Typeform, Quickie Form. Really, form. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> I, I like Typeform. To <laughs> <laughs> answer questions with it, but it's it's uh, obviously it has all the sexual connotations. So. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it was totally a side project because we, you know, we didn't have a clear, I mean, in fact, we weren't even entrepreneurs as such, you know, we didn't know about running a startup or anything. We were just like, yeah, this is something cool that we're doing in our spare time. And, you know, eventually we'll release it as a, as a product. And then if it, if it catches on, we can give up our day jobs. I, I think both me and Robert at the time shared the same feeling that we were kind of fed up, like providing services for other clients. And we were actually want to have something of our uh, something of our own and personally i was really kind of tired of just making puddles on the internet like releasing, releasing little projects here with a with a short lifespan since it was very project-based and i actually wanted to do something which would have more long-term impact and coming across this idea of making forms uh, much better was obviously something that we realized that it could have a lot of impact and, and i remember thinking back at the time like yeah this is a side project but actually this could be huge that's really, really cool. I think a lot of us can relate. I know Sigi and I can relate to that, to just like having an idea or something that you want to take and um, and wanting to go full-time with it. And you guys did it. I mean, not only did you do it, like Typeform is now a, a hugely successful company that almost every entrepreneur knows and uses. I mean, it's incredible. Okay. So at what point did it really go from being like, all right, this is a side project to all of a sudden, holy crap, this is like a gigantic company that we're going to have. There was a point where me and Robert went full time on it. Once we, we, we were about to release the beta, we started not taking any, any, more, any more projects from clients. And I had just wound down my company, Fat Man Collective, and Robert had given his company to someone else to run. So around that time, it was like, I think two months before the beta in, in February, in around, sorry, January of 2013, where we just went full time. And then a few months later, we actually got our first round of investment, which, which meant that we could actually live. <laughs> well, were you making any money at the time, like from Typeform at the time when you decided to go full-time on it? No, 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 no. We didn't make money for like a whole, uh, for a whole year. Wow. So we ran it as a, as a beta, completely free. We didn't like implement pri- like a, any payment model until a year later. R- Rob and I took a loan, actually. I remember around the time of the beta so we could sustain ourselves through to uh, to getting our first round of investment. And in fact, actually, when we got the first round of investment, part of the agreement with the investors that we, would, we wouldn't take a salary and we would just like pay ourselves from the pool of money that we had borrowed. Ah, okay. That was a testament to how much faith we had in the project or maybe how nervous we were about, about having investors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, investors is like the biggest loan ever, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The biggest interest. So, okay. So how much time were you spending on it? Like at the beginning, you're still working on this just, I guess, nights and weekends, right? I think it was, no, we, let's just say that mine and Robert's headspace was like super occupied with it all the time. <laughs> the, the, the engineers that we had in, 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 well, principally in Robert's company, Pulpo Lab, they were working on, on, on quickie form. Like between projects. So, for example, there might there might be a time where a project came in and everyone was full time on that, and then there was some silence, and then we could all get back to to working on 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 quickie form or type forms, as it's called today. Cool. So, Typeform is known for its UI and it's kind of like, you know, the the, the fresh kind of uh, look and feel for forms that they brought into the market. So. 
I want to ask you, like, how did you plan that? I know that you are a designer, your partner was a designer, right? And you say you were inspired by war games. Can you tell us how you, like, got the kind of, like, UI going? Final thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, I think to say it was extremely iterative. Um, and I think we were able to iterate so much because we had so much time in our hands. There were no pressures from investors. It was, it was a total side project. So we were just kind of hacking at it, you know, day after day at the design. Eventually, like, there was a point where we stopped designing. We were designing in, in code as such. Like, I was working very closely with, with uh, Carlos Sanchez, who's, uh, who's still in the company actually today. He was our, one of our lead uh, front-end guys. And it was just, you know, just trying things, seeing how it felt and then iterating, changing things, like going back to drawing board. We actually, like, didn't do any kind of lean methodology as far as, like, testing with real users. It was just, like, iterating for a long, long time just to perfect it, get it, get it getting it feel as natural as possible. I would say it was a game of just balancing elements, uh, balancing animations, and just getting the right feel. And eventually we got to the end of it. Cool. And so you went the Apple way. Not the whole uh, Silicon Valley way, right? <laughs> well, we just, we, I don't know what way we went, but it was just like the natural way to us at the time. It was just kind of, let's just chisel at this until it's just perfect. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, I mean, we had some principles, of, obviously, that, that we had a good base to start from. We knew we wanted to go one question at a time. We knew that we wanted to make sure that the scrolling of the questions, particularly on, on, on a desktop or laptop, was continuous, so that you could scroll through very quickly. We didn't want it to, to make it feel like they were just separate pages. That would be, actually, that would have been much easier to do. The challenge of, you know, make, make, making a form which feels continuous, but you can actually scroll through the whole thing is more challenging than you think. And then positioning all the questions in the right place after you animate, There's a whole bunch of things which have which 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 there is con there is to control to get the, the the experience just right, which we had to spend a lot of time iterating on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, uh, coming from a you know product design background, I can uh, understand those iterations. So you said you guys, it was just kind of a feeling, right? Every every iteration was based off a feeling. So can you talk about that? How did you know it was right? What did how did you know that this was? You mean the final thing, or yeah, exactly. How did you know that when you put something out there, when you iterated? without any sort of data or something to back it up. This was... I, think we, I think we just loved what we were doing, <laughs> I guess. That's the easiest way. No, we didn't have any data to back it up. We did one bit of user testing, I remember, but it wasn't anything formal. We just took it out to some friends and, and, and recorded them kind of playing with the form. But the form was actually at a really advanced stage by that point. So from that point, we didn't change much. There is one thing to be said. Uh, I think if we had done plenty of user testing, like very early on with a very early concept, we might have been put off to investigate in a certain direction. So, for example, if, if we couldn't pull off the one question at a time at the beginning because we found like with user testing it wasn't working, we might not have continued down that road and, and, and chiseled it until we got it just right so, so that we could pull off that concept. Yeah. I don't know. That's just my feeling on it. Who knows how it would have turned out had we done a lot of user testing early. I mean, there are some things that we've improved over time. We didn't get everything right you know, from the outset. I remember we did some changes you know, to, to the form later down the line, particularly on the submit button. My memory's not that fresh on this, but I do remember that you know, what we put out first as a beta, 
it wasn't completely the final thing. There were some kind of tweaks. Some things we've done, we've kind of flattened the UI also a little bit over time. Like, I remember when we, we put out type from the beginning, like all the buttons were super rounded. There was a lot of gradients and shadows and kind of like, you know, toned down things over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think also what you said about, you know, this not doing user testing and kind of like trusting your guts. I think it's something that is a great takeaway for a lot of designers out there. Because mm-hmm. uh, we are living in a world which drives you to do user testing and do all these all, all the research needed. And it is needed. I mean, but also sometimes we designers forget the emotions and the gut feelings that we have. Like a previous guest we had on the podcast, Bob Baxley from Apple, he was talking about this as well. Like, you know, people sometimes need to get into the room and do their own thing, you know, like, because I mean, you have emotions and you're building this out of your emotions. So because you want to create emotions in other people that use it. So therefore, user testing in that case will just bring other people's subjectivity in it. And you just want sometimes to have it with your character. So exactly. Well, that's why I would say bring, you know, maybe just try and resist doing user testing too early, because then you might be put off like pursuing certain paths. Yeah, um, I totally agree. If you have a vision and you have something that you're kind of like locked on, I say, yeah, go for it. Um, I mean, and and it's it goes against like we're talking something that goes against a lot of what others are saying, like professionals in the fields. But yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Maybe it goes against convention, uh, and maybe in many cases, if you don't do your research at first place, it can be become disastrous. But maybe out of not doing all this user testing, there could be some flukes out there. Uh, okay, so I mean, yeah, it's awesome. I think that that's also nice advice for people who are starting out with something today that to realize that they don't necessarily have to go ahead and do, you know, crazy extensive testing, and that it's okay to trust their gut, um, like you both said. But I'm curious. So now that you basically have locked down to what the vision was, and you've developed an awesome product, has this changed? Are you now doing extensive testing or any sort of anything different than you were in the past? Actually, yes, we are now. <laughs> Actually, now we have a pretty formal uh, UX process. I mean, w- we still design on gut, but then we validate everything with, with, with user testing. Huh. Cool. I think it's because we have a good base to go along now, but we need to really like really understand how things are working better. Cool. And how are you seeing your uh, competition going? Like, I know it's, it's kind of interesting. It's like a very small field. You have like, I think at least two competitors that I know, um, I don't know anymore. Who are our competitors? Like, tell me. I know Google Forms and SurveyMonkey. No? And there's also FormKeep, right? Uh, no, but FormKeep is more kind of like code based, no? So, so there's literally hundreds of companies doing data collection out there across different use cases. Some are more focused on surveys, some are more focused on forms, some are focused more, you know, some are more horizontal like ourselves. Uh, we see you know, forms or surveys just as another type of workflow. It's a job to be done. You want to get data, you want to get an insight, or you want to collect a certain piece of data. We don't actually look at SurveyMonkey, particularly, or Google Forms as a, as, as a competitor. Many people say yes. I mean, we are definitely an alternative. But internally, we kind of tend to have a kind of principle that we're just competing against ourselves. And we're trying to make the best possible version of Typeform for Typeform. So that means that, for example, we don't look at SurveyMonkey and think, SurveyMonkey have got really, really in-depth analytics, and they're really strong on that, on that, on that front. We need to be there. No, we're much more on the on the on the user experience of of collecting the data in the first place, because we're assuming that many people 
can analyze the data by just you know dumping it into Google spreadsheet and using their own software in order to get their own insights. That's for example on surveys. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a nice insight though. That basically you you're saying like let us do what we're good at, and it's okay that we're not going to cover every single thing that could possibly be done in the field. Sure. I mean, we don't even categorize ourselves as a form company. <laughs> How do you categorize yourselves? Surprisingly enough, even though we're full time, that's that's a good question. <laughs> we're actually going in the process of 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 trying to understand this because. The things people are creating with Typeform, you'd say that like you would never use a normal form to do. Essentially, people are creating entire workflows or products with Typeform just to get specific jobs done. So I would just sort of more go to the in the direction of saying, you know, we're a communication tool. We're a tool that people can put together a conversation and on the back of that conversation, get a specific job done. So be it collecting insights or registration, doing a registration for an event or sharing a music playlist and getting feedback on that or whatever kind of like conversation a human might want to have with many people at the same time, Typeform is a tool for that. What what the name of that category is, we're still trying to figure that out. If you have any (laughs) suggestions, if anyone wants to get in touch with me from hearing this podcast, please let me know. Yeah, no, I mean, the, the, the kind of like concept of, you know, conversation on interfaces is also kind of uh, peaking right now. And we use Typeform for registration for the side project accelerator that we have going on. So it's kind of like, you know, a mixture of like a form to tell us who you are and what your project is. And then it's connected to payment gateway. So um, sure, exactly. Like, I'm sure you've come across a use case where you've said you have or, or a job that you have to be done. You say, oh, we can use Typeform for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. So it's like, I, I can understand what you're saying when it's like, you know, you're saying complete websites, plus um, people can create an entire website from Typeform. So like we saw a cool example, like HubSpot, what they did like to make user personas. So can you like maybe give examples of what people can do with Typeform that you've already seen or what do you actually, uh, like, let's say uh, what you've already seen and then what you vision of people doing, like, let's say, I don't know, in the, in the near future. Um, oh, it's, it's, it's pretty wide, but let me just give you an example that comes up to the top of my head. I mentioned before was, for example, on, on Friday, someone at Typeform sends out a playlist to everyone. They use a Typeform. They put together a bunch of options, like what kind of, of so the, the, the playlist is split into different jars. So you can pick a jar and you go down, you know, uh, one jar and you can watch a video or hear a piece of music. And then you have a follow up question. You can give some kind of feedback as well. Uh, that's one use case of someone that just wants to communicate a, uh, a playlist. And instead of building a website or, or, or writing an email, they can create something very quickly and push something that's interactive out. That's awesome. And I want to follow up on that. But just before I do that, I want us to take a quick break and give a shout out to our sponsors for this episode. Hey guys, I want to tell you about our sponsor and events apart because they have some of the best conferences for both designers and front end developers. And if you haven't attended one yet, you're really missing out. The events are extremely professional and always cover the most cutting edge technology and latest developments. And they bring in the best speakers and biggest names in the industry every single time. I'm talking legends like Eric Meyer, Jeffrey Zeldman, Rachel Andrew, Brad Frost, Dan Mall. You get the picture. But it's not just about the talks. They do an incredible job of making the conference social and encouraging people to meet and network. If you've been to these kind of conferences before, you know that designers and developers aren't always 
let's say the most social crowd, but at an event apart, they take special care to make sure it's fun, inviting, and that there's never a boring moment. They host seven or so events per year in cities all across the U.S., so you can find the one that's most convenient for you. The tickets are also extremely affordable for a two- or three-day event like this, and we can make it even better. You'll get $100 off any event if you use the code AEA Hacking at checkout. Go to aneventapart.com slash H-U-I and use the code AEA Hacking. Actually, yeah, we had a cool use case of one of the members of the Side Project Accelerator this batch, uh, Limora Goldauber. She started out by, before her website was up, she wanted to start collecting email leads. And she actually created, she built a type form uh, just to start collecting leads for her newsletter to see yeah. if there was a following so like- and if there's... It's like a landing page, right? So you put a, a landing page and then you ask a few questions on the back of that. I guess what I would say is that type is a very frictionless way to put some kind of interactive experience or put some kind of presence online very quickly. Uh, because if you build a website or build an app, you, there's a lot of thinking to do, a lot of investment, but everyone knows how to have a conversation. And Typeform allows you to kind of like let's say encapsulate that conversation in a digital format that you can send to many people at scale. You, you just triggered something that I, I read a lot about and I've seen that you guys are doing is exactly that, that conversational interface that you're kind of, you're trying to promote. So can you talk about why you think that the, the conversational interface is so important? Uh, so I don't think conversational UI is for everything, but I think, you know, we all, uh, you know, it's a very natural thing to do. Ask someone a question and get a response back. So it's natural that conversational UI is starting to pick up because it has much better engagement. I mean, I, I can just say from our experience, going from a uh, a form with which is not conversation to sorry, a form which is not conversational to a form which is conversational, like type form, you can expect around a four x improvement in engagement, and we have the data to back that up. We we've looked at benchmarks, industry benchmarks uh, from form companies, and the average completion rate you'll get on a form across all use cases around fifteen percent. Our average is uh, is a fifty five percent at the moment, so it really goes to show that high. if you yeah it's crazy. Sometimes it's like I have to pinch myself. Almost. <laughs> um, I think it's very simple. You give people an experience and not a laundry list of things to do. They feel like someone is talking to them. They feel like their their opinion is important because they're asking an important question. And people respond to that, but people don't respond to, you know, uh, you know, a bunch of boxes to fill in and something really cold, which doesn't have much design or much effort. They don't feel that there's a human on the back of that. With a type form, there is this kind of almost like a metaphor that there's someone behind there really caring about the answers that you're giving. And that's kind of what we want to promote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I want to bring you back to the last question. Because you give an example of like one uh, type form that you've seen, but what about the future? So now we talked now that you mentioned the conversation and interface yeah. and UI and what you can do and what, how you see it. So what's your vision on how type form will be in the future? Will it have AI in it or how will it function? So on, on, on the form front, what I would say is that we're not tied down for type form to be consumed in you know a, you know, a mobile or desktop browser with the current experience. You know, what does a conversational uh, experience look like on a in an augmented reality setting? What does a conversation experience uh, look like for type form in a, like a bot situation, for example, in Messenger or in Slack? Uh, we don't want to be tied down by the current UI we have, but we want to keep doing, you know, keep on promoting conversational UI. So 
I guess for us, it's also about how we're going to help people build conversational UI. So we're actually in the process of a big rebuild. And what we're building is going to be um, helping people create conversations much more easily. So that's uh, done with two in two ways. One is by removing a lot of friction out of creating that conversation in the first place. And the other thing is providing the right tools for them. So that's a richer set of question types, which we call blocks. So components that can go into a type form and also making those components much more connected. Uh, so that can mean pushing data to other services based on the answers that you collect in a, in a type form. Mm -hmm. So currently today you can do this through a third-party service called Zapier, but but integrations, it's going to be a, a key part of what, what, what will be available in type form. And, you know, looking like further down the line, I can definitely see that we can put language, uh, you know, we can do, sorry, uh, natural language processing or even machine learning in order to help people write better questions or have richer conversations. Uh, and then also, you know, making the flow of the type form much more connected as well. So, for example, if I answer a particular question, instead of the logic being inside the type form, Right now, all the logic is, is, is encapsulated within a type form. There's no uh, external request in order to get inputs uh, in order to change the logic within the type form. So that means if I wanted to find out what the weather was in your location today and change the question based on that, I can't currently do it because everything is, co is contained within the type form. But I can see in the future us kind of opening that up and, and, and making conditions external as well. Yeah, if weather is high, then ask question. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Or if social security number is valid, uh, you know, carry on to here, for example. Yeah. We just want to give much more power in the in, in, in the hands of, of our creators in order to create workflows. And it, it, in essence, we want to kind of turn, give the power to people to... The, Give power to, to, to creators to, to, to do like stuff which you always need a developer to do. Yeah. And so actually, it's really interesting because, um, you know, there are app creators out there, but obviously building an app, you need to think about a lot of things like how the app flows, what screens there are. But with Typeform, what we have to think is how does a conversation have to go? Yeah, totally. It's really interesting for us. What about like other sources of input like voice? Like, do you have that in mind? Yeah, yeah. Like, those are all things like that we could experiment with. Cool. Awesome. So I'd like to ask you uh, about the company itself and the culture that you guys have. So the office is in Barcelona and you're about, is it 60 employees now? No, 130. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I was reading an article that was, that was pretty recent. It was, you must, you've grown pretty quickly, right? Yeah, yeah, we've gone. I think in a year we've we've added like hundred people. Like sorry, no, no. Well, yeah, from a year we sorry a year ago today. Yeah, I think it's around a hundred people. Okay, and uh, so something that's pretty cool is like if you go to the website, you have all sorts of little like I guess employee created side projects on it, like the Typeform uh, Space Invaders game and stuff like that. So, um, <laughs> can can you talk about this? How do projects like this come out? Well, we do we do like a, a monthly kind of like open source day for engineers so they can you know do some side projects. A lot of the time they're just doing like they're actually contributing to open source projects which are external to here. But sometimes some people do some like fun things. Uh, the Space Invader game wasn't wasn't done as a as a side project in particular, but we've done some little things. For example, we created a. Uh, 
a type form which would uh, serve as a template for collecting charity donations and based on uh, the, the donations that that were given that was like powering a website wow oh, wait that was powering a website that the donations website. were yeah it was powering, yeah the donation it was like a feed of the donations coming through in the comments that were written into the type form very cool okay and you guys also spend a lot of time on, I guess, not just creating like little like the side projects, but also creating content. Like your blog is looks beautiful. Yeah. You have awesome articles. Yeah, we put a lot of effort into that. We've put together a team of really talented storytellers and, and writers. Um, we really love content marketing, something that we really want to do more of. The type one. We see we also see it as a, a kind of very organic and natural way to spread a product. Um, so it's not just actually writers involved in it. We have a, a creative team, which is spending a lot of time just creating really beautiful imagery for it, uh, to support, um, the articles. We recently did a, an article called, um, PS, uh, guide, sorry, the Star Wars guide to NPS. And if you, if you <laughs> check it out, search for NPS Star Wars, you'll find a, a really elaborated article, uh, obviously great content, but also really great visuals to accompany it. Nice. So, so why do you guys invest so much in content like that? It must, I mean, it must take a ton of time and resources and money. Uh, well, I think we just did it because we thought it was a great thing to do. Uh, but it's working well for us. It's a new channel. It's bringing, you know, it's, it's bringing new users also to our, our platform. Uh, you know, a good branding exercise to really, you know, get an insight to how we think, how we feel. So, you know, it's, it's our voice. Yeah. In terms of like the company, you are a co-CEO along with Robert, right? Yeah. And how do you guys find that coming along? Like as partners being now CEOs? Yeah, it's, uh, it's still working well. Uh, the thing is we split, uh, responsibilities, now he's more on the business side, and I'm more on the on the product side. So it does. It also means that we can be more hands on. I mean, I'm still designing, and I think if I was sole CEO, I wouldn't have time to do that. Really? So you're actually designing, like really, like hands on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What tool yeah, do you yeah. use? I work with Sketch. Sketch. <laughs> All right. Cool. Use. Cool. Um, yeah. No, nice. I, 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 I love design. If I couldn't design, I, 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 yeah. I wouldn't have any release at type form. For me, it's very cathartic. Yeah, wow. That, that's, like, that's crazy. I mean, you're the, like, the highest level um, of, uh, <laughs> of, of like, person in the company uh, that I heard is designing. Because a lot of like, you know, back when I, we did the first season of this podcast, it was uh, called Scaling a Design Team. And we talked to a lot of design managers and almost all of them said, if you're managing, you should be managing and not designing. And um, one of the things that I, as a design manager back in my previous company, SimilarWeb, um, I really wanted my time to design as well because I said, I really want, like, I mean, that's my meditation in a way. So I, I can really connect to this as well. <laughs> it, it also means the design always has a, and the product has a top seat at the table. Uh, it's a way to ensure so that like the you know at the top level is not disconnecting from the small uh, small details yeah totally and it's also kind of like bringing uh, i guess a bit of fun into the like it kind of like it's the other side of business right i mean you got business and you got the kind of like uh, i mean they're connected but still like the the design side is always pushing for more playfulness i guess yeah 
Um, I think in the, the company, you have a, a balance between the business and also uh, the innovation part. That's where design comes in. But there's, there's, of course, also culture. But it's important that uh, you know a business is just not run for this for for the sake of running a business. There's also sorry, I'll rephrase that. Uh, you know, a successful business can't just be successful unless there's innovation uh, inside it. So making sure we're always like thinking about new concepts. And it doesn't mean just designing you know new interfaces. It's also thinking about how we design the organization and so forth. Nice. An organization is a design experiment. Yeah, totally. And um, can you can you talk about like I want to ask you like about the culture, but I want to also ask you about your time management because like we got into you being a CEO and designing. Um, how do you manage your time? Like, what's your day look like? So it's becoming increasingly difficult. I'm in- increasingly being sucked into meetings, so I've had to kind of reduce my responsibility as far as uh, as as designing. I'm still acting for all intensive purposes as, as the VP of design. So the whole design team reports to me. I sit on all design reviews, um, uh, on all design workshops and so forth. But um, across the organization, I'm finding myself sucked into a lot, a lot of meetings. So I don't have that much time, as much time as I like to actually sit down there and, 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 and spend like a whole day designing. So I'm doing less of that and more of like design reviews, actually. Oh, okay. All right. And um, like... Although I still find some time to design, but uh, it's not, you know, it's not, it's definitely not as much as I used to. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And like going back to um, going back to con- mixing this with the culture. So how do you see the culture that you are designing in the company right now? I mean, what's your vision or do you have any I don't know, like stuff that you think, OK, I'm going to do this and that and um, I don't know, like specific events or specific like principles that guide you when building the culture in your company? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we have. Uh, values which help you know uh, guide the the culture but culture is not something you create something culture is something that kind of happens out of you know the attitude of the people in in the company but if i had to kind of you know sum those up into certain words and i guess this is related to value i think we've created a culture of openness of fun of, of of empathy so moving forward uh We try to you know build events um, or do things which supports those those, those values so I, I mean we just did for example our offsite uh, the, the other week and we're constantly doing you know you know events every quarter to make sure that we're all as connected to each other as possible and but what I would say actually more important than that is is we face a really big challenge right you start you You start a company and there's a certain culture because you're small and everything's very personable and then you start getting bigger you, you go beyond a hundred people and and you know things become a bit more serious as they do and your challenge is how do you maintain that culture through rapid scaling you know not just like you know new people coming into the uh, you know starting working at type form every week but just the sheer scale of it you know how do you, you know I ask myself questions like How do things that we do not start becoming a parody of themselves um, so for just to give you one example like we used to have we, we have this thing in type form where 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 people would just randomly applaud 
like all day. I mean, that that's kind of like that's kind of quieting down a bit. But early on, like this always used to happen. Like people just like like just randomly applaud, and the whole office would stand up and like cheer. And we even we even had that as like almost like a value. Like you know you know uh, ran, celebrate randomly. I think it was. Uh, but obviously, you know, as a company scales and new people come in, like it's hard to keep those you know all those things going. So you have to be careful that. You know, you're not forcing people to adopt a certain culture. So if you tell people flawed, then you're telling them what to do, and then it doesn't become natural. So, although it could be really fun with like 160 people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it happens from time to time still, but it's not like before, yeah. like especially in the yeah. office, just kind of every day, like yeah, let's just applaud, <laughs> <laughs> like applauding across like three or four floors, I and mean, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But people are really happy to be here. I think we've created a, a culture of, of, of happiness where we really put, put people first. I mean, at least we try. That's the thing. Yeah. And it sounds also like a culture of, of leading by example, you know, going back to how you're designing and you're really, you're into the work. You're not just, I guess it's not, it doesn't sound like a culture of telling people what to do. You're actually part of the people doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, we try. I always say that like, we're not perfect, but uh our ambition is, is to always make things a little bit better. So actually, our, the company's vision is is uh, make things a little more human. And that applies to everything we do, not just to the product, but actually the organization wanting to, what we, we want to create. We're just trying to be better than ourselves all the time. Yeah. Cool. Without pretending that, we're the, we're the, that we achieve everything and that we're the best at everything. I, I love that uh, slogan, make things a little more human, because it, it kind of goes back to how you're trying to take the user's voice out when they're asking when they're asking questions in, in the type form and also goes back to kind of, I guess, your whole content strategy that you're not just uh, like other companies, not just writing about updates of what the company is doing, but you're actually writing, you know, good content that's real thought leading content. Yeah, um, yeah. We, we want to help people, you know, have more a more human experience in product and organization. So if we can inspire other organizations to do the same thing, then I think uh we're kind of on the right track okay awesome uh well we only have about five more minutes left so before we, we wrap up uh, i want to ask you um specifically if you have any sources of inspiration that you can recommend maybe books or podcasts or things that uh inspire you on a daily basis i would say that out of all the ceos i know i'm probably the person that reads the less kind of CEO material, even design material. Um, I, my, my inspiration just comes from the people around me, uh, I would, I'd say, um, from the things I see. I don't know, just, just living life in general. I mean, I do you know, come across some good books once in a while. Uh, right now I'm reading a, a book called Play Bigger, which is all about category design. It's about how you can create a category for your company that that doesn't just define you as better but that is completely changing the game and how you can own that category and be the king of that category nice. um, i'd recommend that book for anyone you know that has a product which it can be differentiated in the market cool we'll link to it in the show notes yeah play bigger other sources of inspiration uh, if you don't have any, it's, it's, it's good. Like, yeah, I mean, it's no, nothing comes good. up to mind. I'm sure there is. Of course, there's stuff that inspires me every day, but. Yeah, sure. And um, any, like, uh, last advice to anyone right now working on their side project or starting their businesses? Mm -hmm. 
I would say, you know, make sure that, you know, you're designing something that really connects with people. Uh, if you're probably an engineer that's building a product, make sure that you can partner up with a, a designer and that that designer really cares about the the journey that the, the user is going to take. Oh, David, um, good for you. and what else i don't know just you know build an as far as building a company just build it from the heart and not from the head uh you'll make a lot of mistakes on the way but eventually you'll come up with you'll you'll come up with something that you're really proud of that's great that's awesome advice uh yeah Yeah, so thank you so much for being on the show yeah great And uh, how can people get in touch with you or reach out to you? Where can they find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter. Uh, OKUIUX is my, is my handle. If anyone wants to DM me or follow me, happy to, to chat. Nice. Awesome. All right, David. Yeah, David, thank you. Glad, man. Really appreciate your time. Been great. All right, guys. All right. Good luck Thanks. with Typeform and everything you do. Thank you very much. <laughs> Bye. Bye. So that's a wrap. Thank you, hackers, for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can find all the links and resources from this conversation on hackingui.com slash podcast. And just before we go, we want to share with you something that you might find useful. As you know, we are voracious readers and consume a ton of articles, books, podcasts, and videos about design, development, and side projects. We curate the hell out of everything, and each week we send a short roundup email of our favorites. If that sounds like an email you'd enjoy getting, then we'd love to have you join our awesome community, which already has more than 20,000 happy members from all over the world. You can sign up on HackingUI.com. By the way, on HackingUI.com, you'll also find some other cool stuff like the SciProject Accelerator, our eight-week online program in which we teach everything that we learned in the three years working and scaling Hacking UI as a SciProject before we quit our day jobs. And you'll also find our resources page, which reached the top of the week on Product Hunt Tech, and our events section, which is filled with conferences and meetups for designers and developers. Hey, D, don't forget the tees, man. We also got some cool t-shirts for designers. Sagi, again with the t-shirts? Hey, I designed those, but, but really, last thing, if you enjoyed this, we would really love to hear from you, either by tweeting at us at Hacking UI or by reviewing the podcast on iTunes. Those reviews really go a long way and help us and even make our day. All right, we'll see you next week, hackers, and remember to keep hacking. Hey everybody, what's up? So if you enjoyed this episode, I'm very happy and you're welcome to listen to the rest of the episodes of the Hacking UI podcast. I just want to let you know that this is a legacy podcast, meaning David and I are no longer creating new episodes for this specific podcast. David and I are working on different businesses now. So just wanted to let you know that, first of all, if you want to catch David, you can check out Thought Leaders. And that's what he's working on, thoughtleaders.io. And if you want to check out what I'm working on, I have a new podcast. It's called Creativepreneur, the Creativepreneur Show with Sagi Schreiber. And you would be able to find that on iTunes and any podcast app. And I would invite you to come and listen. And that's where I interview people that have built a lifestyle business out of their skills and passions. It's amazing. I interview so many different people that have amazing stories and will help you with your business, will help you with your skills, taking your skills to the next level and achieving higher goals. So if you're interested in that, I'm there, The Creativepreneur Show, and you can check it out also on YouTube 
And you can also just go to creativepreneurmagazine.com or creativepreneur.show. I hope to see you around.